0: blog talk radio
1: Well, howdy, howdy,
2: howdy, 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 everybody. Hey, guys, how you doing tonight? Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Wednesday, May 6, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton. I hope you're all over your Cinco de Mayo margarita hangover from last night. But, hey, what we've been through the last six, to eight weeks, we deserved a little shelter-in-place party. If you missed my guacamole recipe and margarita recipe yesterday, you better check the archives. We have two great interviews last night. Um, my good buddy Benji Schwimmer is on, an international dance competitor and winner and choreographer. He is doing a great live show tonight. So Benji was on, and we had a great conversation. And then my good friends Jason Caceres and Christian Lopez came on. They are an Instagram influencer couple, but also both actors, and we had a great chat. So, if you missed my margarita and guacamole recipes and those interviews, go check them out on the archives. You can go to your favorite podcast distributor, go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, you can go to Google Podcasts, you can go to iHeartRadio, you can go to Spotify, wherever your local podcasts are downloaded. Go and get that. I will give you my one hint for those of you that have made your own guacamole, and didn't follow my fantastic recipe but I did give a special helpful hint for everyone last night if you have leftover guacamole which I don't know how you do, I eat every drop of that stuff but the hint is take your guacamole put it in a plastic container like that has a nice sealable lid like a little Ziploc container of some kind pat it down pretty good so it's flat and you get most of the air out of it then You're going to take about a half inch of very, very cold water and put it on top of the guacamole. You then put the lid on it and put it in the refrigerator. That guacamole is going to stay green. It's going to stay fresh. And when you're ready to use it again, you just pour off the water from on top, stir that puppy up, and it's good for about three days. Like I said, if you can make guacamole last for three days, you're a better man than I because I eat that stuff till it's gone. So anyway, there's your helpful hint. Be sure to check out yesterday's uh, archives. Today I have three fantastic, all-new, brand-new interviews for you today. Coming up first in just a couple of seconds is going to be my buddy, Josh Sabera. Josh is a PR and marketing guru. He's worked for every major entertainment company in the business, from Disney to all the other ones, uh, so many great shows. He owns his own marketing company. He's a producer. He's produced some great shows. In fact, he produces a murder mystery series that's doing a Hallmark um, marathon this Sunday. I'll give you the name of it afterwards because I don't have it right now. Haley Haley something mysteries this Sunday is doing a marathon, and Josh produces that. Um, And actually, it's based on Nancy Grace's stuff. If you know Nancy Grace from uh, TV and news. She actually is the producer and the founder and the creator of the series of Haley, Haley Dean, Haley Dean Murder Mysteries. So that's going to be this Sunday. So Josh will be up first. Then we're going to
3: um,
2: come back with Enoch Miller, better known as the Empress of WeHo. Enoch is a fantastic interviewer himself. He works out of West Hollywood where he does fantastic interviews with local talent there. He also talks about what's going on on the scene there, and he's going to be one of my new correspondents for what's happening on the West Coast. So we do an interview with him, and then we finish it up with Al Geiner. And Al is a PR rep. He does mostly music people, but he has uh, some actors and everything. He's been doing PR for many years. We're going to talk to him about that business. And interesting, he owns his own kilt company, Yes, I said kilt, as in if you're an Outlander fan, you want to get yourself a kilt, just like Jamie has. So three interviews today, not much time, we're going to have barely time to use between each of them, so we're going to get started right away, and I am here live, I'll end it live, and I'll probably go in between live as well, but let's start off with a little music, and when we come back, it's going to be my friend, Josh Sabera, You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio
1: network.
0: Single second that will stand the test of time. Waiting for a moment that's already passed you by. Don't you want to know what you've been missing? What you've been missing? second that will stand the test of time. Waiting for a moment that's already passed you by. Don't you wanna know what you've been missing? What you've been missing?
2: with Living for the Memories. Speaking of memories, my next guest has some amazing ones with so many of the who's who of Hollywood. He's always great to have fun on the show. If you're looking for a good couple of reads on your quarantine holiday, I suggest his name-dropping memoir, Porn Again, and its equally titillating novel, Enemies Closer. He's not only an entertainment marketing savant, working with most of the major studios and distributors from coast to coast, but he also knows how to turn a phrase and market his own line of side-eye merchandise over his website. Please welcome back to the show my long-distance friend and hero, Mr. Josh Shabara. Josh, how are you, buddy? Hi,
4: Scott. I'm well. How are you?
2: I am good. It's good to talk to you. You are always so busy with so many uh, pies in the sky and plates spinning on sticks, and I'm glad you have a little time to talk. We have a little quarantine downtime.
4: We do, right? For good or bad.
2: Exactly. We'll make the best of it no matter what it is. That's what we do.
4: How are you holding up, my friend? How's everything in beautiful downtown, sunny L.A.? Uh, It's been, the weather has been extremely hot in Los Angeles. So, you know, I'm Mm. trying not to bake inside. Um, And... (laughs) I have certainly not baked any banana bread. So for all of those people who are posting on <laughs> Instagram, all of the things that have been making, I have not been that productive at all. Um, Isn't it so, horrible? Yeah. I mean, that's
2: all we're doing is posting recipes and I'm, I like the cocktail recipes. I'm living for those. Thank you very much.
4: <laughs> but I've had enough
2: food to last a lifetime. I'm telling you this.
4: Crazy yeah. Stuff. I mean, that's one, that's certainly one of the hazards of all of this. Um, I, you know, tend to, because I have, you know, when I stocked up on the snacks and the things that I needed to have sort of the non-perishables, they, I guess I didn't get the memo about not eating them within one short period of time and that it was sort of to be (laughs) rationed out. So, uh, you know, I'm that person who will, you know, be good and conscious of my food intake all day. And then all of a sudden at, you know, midnight, I'll, you know, inch downstairs and open a bag of pop chips. (laughs) <laughs> so. Exactly.
2: And there's only so much freezer space for all the for all the ice cream, whether you get the Halo Top skinny ice cream or not. You only have so much freezer space, you know?
4: Well and sadly <laughs> during all of this I've given sort of you know, in you know, the the anxiety of it all, I've given myself permission to sort of enjoy things that I might not have let myself indulge in before. So, you know, every now and then I will say to myself, no, you deserve to have salt and straw ice cream delivered by the pint. (laughs) So, you know, it's a balance. It's a balance.
2: There you go. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm glad you're doing well, and it's so good to have you on the show. I mean, you have to be saving gas and time not going to every bookstore in town and secretly or not so secretly signing copies of your book. I'm getting about uh, three weeks for the gallon of gas here in Ohio. I don't know about you. Yeah, I haven't. You know, I had to get
4: in my car. Uh, I got in the car yesterday, actually. I haven't been in the car. I realized it was March uh, 13th that I was last in the car. So I had to. So it still had a full tank of gas. And um, I had actually been in New York just before the quarantine started. Um, Mm. You know, strangely, I didn't feel like I was as aware. I mean, I knew that, you know, that things weren't looking great, but I wasn't as aware that things were as dire as they were. (laughs) So I had gone ahead with a trip to New York. And during the week and a half that I was in New York is when things got increasingly more concerning. Um, when right. the messaging started getting out about, you know, this might be this might have been here longer than we thought. It might be more widespread than we thought. New York might be more of a hot spot than we realized. You know, all of that. So my flight to New York was actually pretty normal, um, you know, and I just took my usual disinfecting precautions, which I do anyway. <laughs> uh, right. And then the over the 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 two weeks that I was in the city, it started to get. You know, like I said, increasingly, you know, concerning. And by the time I flew back, was the I, I flew back the day after you know the travel ban started and all of that um, because obviously yeah. I had to get home. Um, well, but that was just a much more surreal experience with a you know an airplane that was only one third full. Um, you know, but uh, yeah. So I think I saw, and I saw the I think the last. Broadway performance before uh, things were shut down. So,
2: oh wow! What'd you see?
4: Uh, the last show I saw, which was in previews and I guess will never open, was um, Tracy Letts' new play, *The Minutes*, uh, with Army Hammer. Which oh, was actually wow. very good, and it's a shame, hopefully they'll remount it at some point. I know it was supposed to um it was only running through June anyway, <laughs> so um right. it, it had I think I saw its third of performance, and then that's it, so wow, yeah, that's yeah. crazy,
2: yeah, my buddy Stan um uh, Stan Zimmerman was in New York, he was oh yeah, he's such he a was great guy. To play, yeah, it's amazing, and he was workshopping a play that he's working with with uh, Nathan Lee Graham. He's been in so many great movies. I'm sure you know. And uh, then I have had Drew Drogi on the show. His one-man play got extended and then unextended as soon as the quarantine broke down. So
0: right.
2: it's been a crazy time for all. I mean, it's tough for me as, luck, as much as I love New York. It's only about a six and a half hour car ride for me, and gas in Ohio right now, if you can believe it, Josh, is a dollar nineteen a gallon. Wow, and I. Have I could get there. Yeah, but I don't know if New York is a I don't know if
4: New there. New York is your is your escape route at the moment. If um, not, prob- that's the whole thing.
2: I would love to <laughs> go but there's no place I could go there and I couldn't visit anybody, so what's the point? But <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and I you are. know, and I
4: worry about it because I worry about, I mean, obviously I think we're all worried and we're all anxious, and I think everybody would love to be able to. I mean, you talk to people who have differing opinions. You know, some people think that this is going to yield some really positive, you know, positive things for us, you know, that, that life might slow down a little and people might take time to, you know, appreciate things that they didn't before. And while that may be true, I think most people, Because we have a comfort level with what we know. I think most people, if given the option, would want to flip a switch and have everything eventually go back to the way it was. Um, I think that that's just not going to be possible. And I think we learned a lot during this or are still learning a lot during this. And, you know, I I do worry about... um, live events and things like that uh, until there is a vaccine or some kind of therapy that people feel comfortable with. But I do worry about about that. Um, you know, obviously, it's not the most pressing concern in the pandemic, you know, people's lives, their health, you know, obviously the most important things. But course, right. how we're going to return to events and live and in-person things that sort of connected us on a human level, and I think they are important, and, you know, I think it's going to take time for us to get there. And I think it's not just even when somebody says, you know, I think people are waiting for that moment where somebody's going to say, okay, go outside, and obviously I, I don't think it will unfold that way. I don't, I, I, I don't, I'm no authority on it, but I have a feeling it will be a more measured unfolding um, right. but I think people will have a, an element of PTSD. I don't think people are going to be running out of their homes to go to things.
2: Oh, I think you're a hundred percent right. And like you said, I, I just, I'd like to know your opinion just from a marketing perspective, because you are such a guru of marketing for everything entertainment. The whole industry has been slipped on its side with live streaming from home and all these events that are raising money. I mean, I it's, it's great. I guess the marketing. Ways we can't think of,
4: right? Yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, I always joke from, a, I always joke about, which, you know, just to find the light in the, in the darkness, but, you know, I've been laughing because I said, if only climate change had the same publicist that coronavirus had, <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, but um. Yeah, I mean, listen, all these things that people are doing are fantastic. I think, you know, I've had more people want to FaceTime than, I mean, people who want to FaceTime whom I didn't ever see in the first place. Um, (laughs) So it's kind of interesting. And, and, you know, all of a sudden your phone will ring with a FaceTime call and you're not, you know, I still have my curlers in and my, you know, tape in my hair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm i um but but i 'm enjoying getting to have some of the time with people. I think these live events and these programs I think it 's great that people are doing what they can to keep everybody sort of to add some levity to things. You know I think what you 're doing is great, keeping the show going um, you know and and the amount of content that you 're producing during this time is great because it gives people something positive to focus on you know we're we're bombarded with negative stories and you know every single friend on Facebook who knows somebody who died and you know we're seeing those every day and not that they're not important for us to be aware of or pay attention to but we also really need some hope and I think a lot of these programs and these seeing different communities band together to help their own is really um is really amazing and I give to as much of it as I can. You know, I watch as many of them as I can and support as much of them as I can, um, as many of them as I can. But, yeah, I think it's great. Um, do I think that it's, in the long run, a substitute for in-person connection? No, I don't. But right. do I also think that people will be used to um, a more digital um form of interaction? Yes. I think people, like I said, there's going to be an element, I think, of PTSD where people are going to be not wanting to sit on a movie theater chair that somebody sat in five minutes before and, you know, licked their fingers from the popcorn and rubbed on the armrest. Like, I think people are much more conscious of that now. And so do I think that given the option, some people might choose to stream something or might choose to go to a book event or a book panel via zoom. Yeah. I do think for a long time, I think it's going to take people a while to not be, you know, to not be sort of, um, a little skittish about it.
2: What do you think the studios are learning from this or should learn from this? Is there any take that you're getting just from your head for, for marketing down the line?
4: Well, you know, it's always the studio, uh, system and, and the, the, um, Theatrical release to home entertainment release has always been a topic of debate. Um, you know, from when a film hits a theater to, you know, there was always a 90-day window on average uh, right. from when a movie was in was in theatrical release to when it would be available for home viewing. Um, I think that um, the industry is not going to have a choice. Right. So, you know... Sense.
2: Mhm. So that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I I, I agree 100%. Yeah, because
4: Talk you're going to get a certain number of people who will go. You know, there there will be people who are just going to go out and be like, "You know what? I'm going to live my life. I'm going to brave this." But like I said, they are going to be there's also going to be a large percentage of the population that's going to realize that they didn't really need to go to do that. And um, you know, that they were just as satisfied watching at home and taking less risk of, you know, getting any kind of infection or spreading any kind of germ. Um, and I think people are going to be used to seeing things at home. I think there was always a stigma to something that didn't have a theatrical release. Like we always used to joke about things that went direct to video or things that went to, you know, now directly to streaming. And I think that perception will change now that, you know, streaming is going to be, is the way that people are going to be, are consuming the content right now.
2: Right. No, exactly. And also I don't
4: know that theaters will be able to, I, I don't know that selling half the house is ultimately going to make enough, is going to do, is going to, you know, look at, even if you look at live theater, you know, if you try to distance people at the theater, okay, if you look at a traditional Broadway house, if you sold only 50% of the tickets to keep people separated, the show wouldn't be able to stay up. At, no, at there's only fifty percent to goes. begin
2: with, right? I mean, it's tough for a Broadway show to make money to start with. That's why. Well, in production value. So
4: there's big production value and big ticket prices. People are already spending three hundred dollars on a, you know, a face value orchestra ticket. You know, so people right. are already paying top dollar. Now, also, people are concerned about their finances because you know so many people are being affected and so many people's retirement funds are being affected you know i i I think people are going to be judicious about how they're spending their money and rightfully so um and you know i think that the theater isn't going to be able to continue by selling only 50 percent of a house so you know i think there will come a point where people you know there will be a vaccine there will be therapies that will make people feel better about returning to those kinds of things but i think we've got a little bit of distance until then right no i agree
2: let's talk about some of your own projects i mean you always have your thumb in so many pies and so many projects whether it's a mystery movie christmas movie working on something fun um what have you had to put on hold and what are you looking forward to getting back to
4: (laughs) well i have um a couple of tv uh projects in one that's ju- that was just ready to shoot that we sort of had to pause so as soon as um, things can go back into production um, it will uh, and then I have another um, TV project that's in development uh, so that is being written now which is great because it gives the writer sort of the time to, to focus solely on that um, and then I just signed a new book deal so uh, I am, you know, I, I, I actually have another book that's due, but then I just signed another a new one, um, for this <laughs> other project that's going to be very different and very unique. And I'm very excited about, and I wish I could say more about it, but I can't yet. Um, but We're I'm, used
2: to that. I'm looking so that's forward
4: nice. to it. Um, so I don't know. So, so between, so with the books, um, I actually, you know, for, for the beginning of the quarantine, I was sort of really in a malaise and really apathetic and um, was so shocked and sad and anxious. And I can't say that those feelings have lifted, but, um, you know, I w- it was making me unmotivated. I wasn't, I didn't watch a show. I didn't watch a movie. I didn't read a book. I sort of stared at the ceiling and then went down the rabbit hole of articles from my phone. Um, And then in the last few weeks, as these um, projects have sort of started to percolate again and people have, you know, been interested in having things lined up um, for the time at which we can get back to some semblance of work or our regular work, um, so those projects have sort of started, you know, bubbling, and so I've sort of had to push myself into getting motivated to work on them. So, you know, in a way, it's a blessing that they're there, and I'm grateful for them um, because it's sort of keeping me sane.
2: Right, and there's lots of schools of thought of that too, right? Because, I mean, there's a lot of fields to be had during this time. No one's gone through this before, so sometimes just not being productive is not a bad thing, right?
4: No, that's, that's fine. I mean, I think people have to be I, – I think – I think people have to not be so hard on themselves regardless. I mean, look, we, we have a tendency. It's sort of that same thing that we have with social media to begin with, that sort of compare and despair phenomenon where we look mm-hmm. at the social media yeah. in the morning, we compare ourselves to the people who are living glamorous lives or who are being productive or who are making their nine loaves of banana bread today, <laughs> and we look at our own life and we are still in bed and we're still in our pajamas and we don't feel like moving today and it can make us feel worse. So there's that compare and then despair that we are not living up to what other people are doing. And I don't think there is, we haven't been through this before. There isn't a rule book. There isn't a guidebook. It's you go through it the way you need to go through it and whatever it takes for people to, you know, and I always say like, you know, acceptance of something doesn't just show up, you know, you have to like live through whatever you need to feel to get there. So, you know, you have to sit with the sadness and this is a sad situation. I mean, people are in pain. People are unhealthy. People are dying. People's families are dying. We can't get to the people we love. We can't spend time with them. That's really sad. That's a huge loss in our lives. And you have to, I think, sit with that and, and, and understand that there is a sadness that we have to go through. You can't just, you know, you can't just fast forward through that, you know, to a point where you've accepted it. it. I think it I think it really takes some some mental work and so there's no judgment. It's like you do what you can do. And, you know, you there are all these memes and, you know, all these things going around, but I think some of them are true. It's like, you know, if you can get up and make a couple of calls or speak to a friend and you know, take a five minute walk, you know, ten minute walk, twenty minute walk with your mask on, socially distanced, and you shower, you know, that's a that to me sounds like a day that you got through.
2: There you go. Well said. I'm I've said a lot throughout the broadcast that I'm not a good at home person. I just I get Claustrophobic, and I don't like being at home. So I'll go about every three or four days. I'll take a drive out to a lake and do my little social distance walk or hike around there. And I think it's good. That that feels productive to me. Whether I do anything else that day or not, I feel like I've done something for my mental well-being. And I and I agree 100% that just getting out of bed and taking a shower is a good start. If you can get that second cup of coffee and make a phone call, better on you.
4: Yeah, I mean, you do what you can. And, you know, some days, you know, I think it goes in, it goes in cycles. Like there are days where I feel like I've done things that are productive or that I've, I've accomplished something. And there are days where I don't know where the time went. You know, there are days where I wake up at 7 a.m. and walk and start doing something. And there are days I wake up at 11, 11 a.m. You know, it just, I, you know, and, I'm, and I, I'm trying really hard not to beat myself up for, for either one.
2: There you go. That's going to be an interesting phenomenon to see where everyone's sleep cycle turns out to be at the end of this, right? <laughs> some people are going to be very well disciplined for the last six weeks, and some people are going to have to learn all over again how to get out of bed in the morning and get back to their normal quote unquote normal routine.
4: It's so absolutely true. It's absolutely true. I think there will be a there there will be a a sort of learning curve to the reentry.
3: Right.
2: Agreed. Well, let's, um, we got to wrap things up here in a little bit. I do want to talk about, you are so quick with that marketing mind to jump on the term of phrase. Like I said, I love the Side Eye collection on your website. I want people to
4: look at those. <laughs> well, the I mean, Side Eye collection is literally t shirts and, um, and just sort of like thoughts or funny things that pop into my head. And it was just things – they're just things that I would have wanted on a T-shirt, so I put them up there, and, I, you know, if somebody has the same sensibility or finds some humor or joy in it, great, and if not, that's fine, too. It's really just, like, a fun little extra hobby for me. Um, so, yeah. That, that's that's so really fun.
2: My, I have two favorites. I like okay. uh, my two favorite of the entire collection – if I give you a straw, will you go back and suck the fun out of someone else's life? love that one yeah, that was written like, because people. somebody <laughs>
4: was really was really stepping on my jam one day <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then, um, I tried to put myself in your shoes, but they were cheap and ugly, just like you. love that
4: yeah. I Very mean, fun. you know it's judgy, it's bitchy, it's you know. Irreverent. Mm -hmm. Why not have fun, right?
2: Everything you should be when you're having fun, and of course, the newest one, Children of the Corn. Q
4: U N. Children of the Corn. Yes, I just I don't know why I found that so abusing. I'm like, all the kids who are born in 2020 are technically children of the quarantine. Like, as like as what I said, and I was like, wait, Children of the Corn and that was always sort of a favorite 80s horror film for me i believe 1982 if i'm accurate linda hamilton and peter horton and uh so if i thought it would be funny <laughs> and i thought you know what we uh, you know it would be fun to sort of make it look like a horror film like a t-shirt from a horror film and then just donate all the proceeds to any of these organizations that are raising money for so any of these groups that are doing you know like you know like Broadway.com has been doing some stuff and they've done stuff for Broadway Cares and there's been you know for different restaurants that you know need so I'm just going to take any proceeds from that shirt and just sort of spread it across all of these organizations that um, are are looking for. Looking sort of to keep going, and also um, like there's the Bink Foundation to help the comic bookstores and and independent bookstores that are struggling, and things that we'll want them to be there when when we can sort of go out again. And um, so I'm hoping that somebody will find some humor in Children of the Corn, and um, you know we can help people help people while we're while we're having a little bit of a laugh at it.
2: There you go. It is an awesome turn of phrase, and we will encourage all my listeners to help support multiple charities by going to that at the end, which brings us to our last question then. When yes. we get out of Corona quarantine, um, where's the first place you want to go locally that you've really missed going to? And where if money and time were no object, where would you like to just get out of the heck out of Dodge and go to?
4: Well, Uh, I guess just being able to go to, you know, the local pizza joint with some friends would be great in terms of locally, Um, but I'm most anxious to get home to my parents. Um, You know, I feel like, um, you know, and and my sister and her family are also on the East Coast, and so I would love for us all to be able to be in the same place, so um, that will be my first order of business, the moment that – you know, it's safe and, and I can travel without putting anybody at risk, and that's what I'll be doing.
2: There you go. Two wonderful thoughts and expressions, and I hope you're able to do that soon. Please let all listen to the website address so they can find your collection and learn a little bit more about you and your books. They can order your books there as well, and where they can find you on social media.
4: Yes, they. Um, it's at Josh Sabera on Twitter and Instagram. J-O-S-H-S-A-B-A-R-R-A. And, yeah, you can, you know, my books are available on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com. Also, Barnes and Noble has been great. They're doing um, curbside, you know, you can just literally pull up to a Barnes and Noble and call them and they'll run the book out to you. Um, they're doing everything they can to sort of keep things going. Um, you know, even the independent awesome. bookstores, um, you know, and you know I signed a bunch of copies of both books at you know like Barnes and Noble at the Grove, and they'll ship it to you if you want it, so there are a lot of options and 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 buying books helps keep helps keep those places that we want to stick around, so you know every little bit helps them
2: well said. Well, Josh Sabera, it's always a pleasure to speak to you, my friend. I am so happy to know you, and I'm glad you're doing well over this quarantine period. Keep in touch with me, my friend.
4: Of course. Same to you, and, and I hope everybody stays safe and healthy.
2: Well said. All right. Well, stay on the line for me, Josh. Guys, we're going to play out a little music here. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network.
0: Throw my hands up over my head and cry Still I know you are the one And I still taste you on my tongue And I would be fortunate to lie with you One more night Much time now. I just take one look inside your eyes and I'm flying. What am I still doing here? I know you will soon disappear, but I still hold on to spend time with you. My days are so much longer until you come over I'm hot under the sheets, you know you make me sore I toss and turn all night until you come closer Feeling you inside me over and over Still I know you are the one I still taste you on my tongue And I would be fortunate to lie with you i no.
2: All righty, guys and gals, we are back, and I am so excited to have my next guest on. me surprised—it's taken me so long to get him on the show. He is the unofficially official Empress of WeHo. He's been sharing all places, people, and things fabulous to WeHo, and his listeners and follows followers have loved every second of it. I've been so proud to work with him lately, and him and his WeHo friends. Committed to helping the service industry of the city by raising money for the unemployed servers, bartenders, and entertainers of the district. Can't wait to talk to him, so please welcome to the Leftist Trade Show for the very first time, Mr. Enoch Miller. Enoch, how are we doing, buddy?
1: Good. How are you, my dear?
2: I'm in the presence of royalty. How wouldn't I be, Miss Empress of Hollywood? Wee ho. Goodness gracious.
1: Woo-hoo. This I'm impressed. Gay is officially gayer now. <laughs> because Do I bow or curtsy? I, I don't know the protocol.
2: <laughs> girls just
1: get on your knees. That's what every boy does. <laughs> oh, there
2: you go. There you go. Love it. Love every bit of it. God, I can't believe it's taken me so long to get you on the show. Uh, I've been I following you forever. Me. I mean, I saw you back in the days of UBN Radio, and then doing yeah. all this great stuff on your Facebook channel. And, you have the face for video, you know I hate video you you have the face <laughs> for television, my friend. um I'm excited to have you on, man. It's been a long time
1: uh, it has thank you so much and i i same i I've watched your left or straight for god for for years actually, I think I started watching him pretty pretty much when I first moved out here to Los Angeles I had some mutual friends that um mentioned that they were like either gonna be on your show or like had that would been listening to it, so yeah, I've been listening to you.
2: There you go. That's
1: that's sweet. I appreciate that.
2: Let's talk about a little bit of that background. Um I first time on the show, we always like to give my listeners a little bit of catching up. Tell me sure. where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you first want to be when you grew up?
1: Um, oh god, that's a that's a lot to unpack. So um <laughs> uh I'm one of those pastors kids officially. So um Ooh. We, uh, Yeah, Southern Baptist, so uh, I lived with the crazies for the majority part of my (laughs) life, which was a lot of fun. Um, I was originally born in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, so Midwest boy, and um, Mm -hmm. my parents uh, ended up moving to South Africa in Johannesburg back in the 90s um, because they wanted to be missionaries, so I did that for four years with them, came back to the States. Um, back to Kansas City, where they were at a mega church there, and then my dad got some other calling or whatever, and went to Texas, <laughs> so I went to high school in Texas, uh, then uh, luckily I got out of that and uh, wanted to go to college, uh, I went to school for a few years in uh, Florida and Pensacola, I was kind of studying to be a uh, computer science and software engineer, uh, total nerd, and then uh, ended up kind of... Not working out. That was a. It was a Christian school. My parents were trying to reform me and and trying to pray the gay away. <laughs> and so <laughs> went back to Missouri, where I ended up meeting my partner. And I was going to school there for uh, business technology and office management. And um, ended up moving out because he's originally from California. So uh, we moved back out to California together. And I've been here ever since. And I absolutely adore uh specifically i mean here in west hollywood because it's my it's been my home for so long now but uh right. for sure southern california is just i mean i've fallen in love with the the place here and oh my god i i never want to leave sun again
2: <laughs> i hear you brother i've been banished to northeast ohio for like 17 years now i'm an old fart uh. And was born and raised in Southern Cal. And how I got here, I have no idea, my friend. I'll tell you that. I
1: I feel you. I've been all around the Midwest, so I totally get it.
2: (laughs) Well, tell me that. Tell me about, um, with that kind of a background, when did you first come out to yourself and who was the first person you were able to tell?
1: Kind of like officially was having like an idea that. Because I, uh, unfortunately, I'm so gay, the walls know. So, I mean, it's not an easy thing to hide <laughs> from me. So, there were some people kind of early on in my, like, towards, like, let's like, say, like, 12, 13, especially kids, obviously. Kids start teasing and start saying, like, oh, you faggot, or stuff like that. And I'm just like, well, obviously, no. I'm just creative. And I'm
3: unique. <laughs> it's
1: special. And whatever your parents tell you. But... um yeah, so it was I I'd say probably right around like 12, 13, kind of right around when puberty really hit. Um when right. obviously at that age everything turns you on, but then it's like, oh, wait, guys are a lot more attractive than girls and then it just kind of progressed <laughs> from there. So I think the first time I ever really told someone and acted on like that was quite like probably around my like my freshman sophomore year of high school. Um started uh I think just innocently. Oh God, I was wor- I don't remember when I was working at fucking McDonald's back in Texas, and oh, first job, job ever. First, yeah, I know, first first part-time job ever. And there's a couple guys that were there that were the gays of the store, and uh, yeah, the one, both of them were just like, I mean, just like white on rice. It was just like it. it I I was just there, and <laughs> they're like. We know you. You're this. You're this. And I was just like, no, I'm not. I'm in complete denial. Although <laughs> I mean, I clearly like 100% attracted to guys. And so yeah, but like 15, 16, I like like this one boy came through and would always come through the the, the McDonald's to to just see me after he first saw me and I was the first boy I ever kissed. The first boy I ever kind of told, like I'm like I'm actually interested in guys. And then it just snowballed from there
2: (laughs) there you go I think it's something in the 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 meat because that was my very first crush was when I worked at Carl's Jr. in Southern California I I met a guy so where's the beef right (laughs) there's something in that processed meat for sure (laughs) (laughs) oh I love it I love it The all right so (laughs) tell me about this journey Um, so you met your partner um, back Midwest, and whereabouts from? Southern, whereabouts from California? Was he
1: from? He's originally from uh, Montebello area near like Whittier and oh, all okay. that um, from the east side. Oh, so he's an East LA boy, um, and he um, he's uh, he grew up uh, kind of that area. Graduated, went to Long Beach um, College. So um, he left here, um, California. Uh, and moved to New York and did New York for 10 years, um, popped over to Vegas for a year. And then his mom did the same thing you did, Scott, and just kind of just when she retired from her her job, she decided to move out kind of out east. And um, the joke yeah. always was that she just like have her car break down in Missouri, and that's where she decided <laughs> to end up. So that kind of is what yeah. happened for for her. She is was in Blue Springs, Missouri, which is right next door to Kansas City, um which is like it's just a like a, a, the, it's like Fort Worth to to Dallas and so um she uh she moved there and then ended up getting sick so he moved out there to be with her um and then when she passed away he was itching to to head back home because there was he was really only there for her and had gotten a job there so it's what kind of right around the time I uh, met him it was about a year after she passed away and he was like kind of gearing up to move out here and Kansas City was great. I mean, I'd, I'd been there, done that. It's, I mean, it's not a bad city. It's just it's Midwest. It's big town, small people. So uh, right, I would say right. it's good to get out of the – It's not, and also it's like Missouri's a little bit – like there's a pretty decent queer community out there. Um, and it's not – like it's big, but it's not like as much of a presence as you would have here in like Los Angeles or New York or someplace like Chicago. Uh, or San Francisco even, it's just, it's very, uh, like, it, in a weird way, it's very incestuous, <laughs> like, everyone's banged everyone there, for lack of a better <laughs> description, it's, the, the dating pool is very, very small, and it's, like, there's, like, two degrees of separation between every gay or lesbian or and, and non-binary individual around, so it's a very, <laughs> very small, but it's still a big community, it's just a very tiny pool of a community, even though it's big. So nothing compared gotcha. to like when I first moved out here to Los Angeles and saw kind of what a, what an actual like queer community looks like.
2: Right. I think I've been doing for the last two years, I've done what's called the Big Gay Road Trip from uh-huh. Ohio to Palm Springs, where I do my show for from Palm Springs for a month live. And right. I stopped one year, I kind of, do the big gay road trip and stop in different cities along the way and see what gay nightlife there was and I think my first year was Kansas City and I don't know what it's called. Uh
3: Mississippi.
2: sideways, side
1: kicks, kickers,
3: oh, something like that.
2: Kick.
1: Oh my god.
3: There's yeah.
2: Side
1: kicks and there's also side pocket.
2: I think it was side kicks.
1: I think it was side kick yeah. stopped by it was an
2: experience. There were some cute boys in there, but it was an experience, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Kansas. I mean, unfortunately it's not known for its gay bars or any kind of like queer bars overall. I mean, there were, there's one, there's really only like one main one that everyone goes to. It's called Missy B's. And that's like the main club. Um, There's a couple others like side pockets or side saddle. There used to be one called Tootsie's um, where all the lesbians would go, um, the actual lesbian bar. And then um, that closed. And so, there's, I mean, it was just, it's a very, there's a lot of underground stuff um, over there. It's because it's uh, their power and light district is kind of their downtown area is what they call it. Um, so uh, p and had where all the straight kind of people hung out. It's kind of like similar to, to downtown Los Angeles, but obviously a lot smaller and more condensed into this kind of um little, like, four-block radius kind of thing um, with, the, with the power and light area in the center, kind of like a giant, almost, like, open strip mall, but you could walk to where all the bars were, so there's just an open courtyard in the middle. But, yeah, it was, there, was, there was an influence of, of queer people throughout, spattered throughout, um, and a lot of the, the allied community wasn't so necessarily put off um kansas and missouri um split kansas city down the middle the city itself right the one side kansas city kansas one side kansas city missouri um if you ask trump they're all the same thing but um uh, you really find out that uh kansas is a little bit less conservative than missouri is missouri is a like hides. High- Their feelings a little bit on the queer community. Um, You will get a lot of conservatives through that, but um, it's not. I don't know what it skews voting wise right now. Actually, I think they're. I think they do screw like skew blue and red for Kansas and Missouri, but um, it's it's still a very because it is very. It's it's kind of like the middle of the the spectrum a little bit with kind of how people will view you. Some of them, it's more along the lines of. We don't technically approve, but we don't – we aren't going to, like, shame you as a person. So you'll get a lot more of that than you will get people that are, like, 100%, like, backing you in a sense. So you'll get more people that are like, hey, this is – like, we don't approve of your lifestyle or whatever the thing they like to say. But it's – but it's for the most part, a lot of my friends that were – again, the vast majority of my straight friends, I think, knew, but – they said it doesn't change who you are, so I I think I was a little less oh, sweet. worried about coming Man. out. Well, I was less coming out worried about coming out of Missouri than I was like Texas or Florida, because um, I gotcha. mean okay. Texas. Oh my God, going to high school in Texas and being <laughs> thought even thought you were a queer person was like I mean Man. hell on earth. It was yeah. awful. Like I would I I totally understand some of these people. Like I mean being like I had the entire baseball team one team time chased me with bats before calling things with play, play smear the queer and
4: oh my uh, goodness
1: all oh. Of, oh yeah so like and again the like the the adults there are kind of just like well I mean don't like don't be a pussy like just ball up and like be okay so I mean you didn't really have the best when it came to people that actually looked out for you I had one teacher who was funny enough, my my. Speech and debate. I did speech and debate in theater. Huh, theater kid. <laughs> Shocker. But, um, <laughs> Who would have thought? I did that. So I at least had some, a couple adults that kind of looked out for me. But yeah, it was it was pretty hard towards the, the end of it because, um, uh, it just I wanted to get the hell out of Dodge because I mean just people were, okay. just really right. I mean just oppressive about it and it was just like and there was also a big. There's a big Catholic kind of community. There's also a big Mormon community out there, weirdly enough. So you kind of – and then obviously the Christians as well. So you kind of get it on all sides. And then obviously my dad was right. a Southern Baptist pastor. I mean, that was awful with them trying to do their whole, like, conversion therapy when they found out and pray the gay away and sending me to, like, meetings and all this stuff to try and, like, fix me, um, which mm-hmm. I played along with till I, till I was basically – so I moved to Missouri, actually, so that when I was about 22, I finally was just like, I can't shake it anymore. It
2: yeah, was, it was good not for you, man.
1: Good. Well, well
2: I, talk about I mean, this escape to L.A. Uh, some people either love it or hate it when you first get there. What was your first impression when you got there?
1: Oh, so we actually, Doug brought me out and did a little, um, like a few months before we moved there, he did kind of like a little vacation um, two, we even actually stayed here in West Hollywood, and I, I immediately fell in love with it. I am I like big cities. I like a lot of people. I'm a very, nice. just in general, a very sociable type of person. I enjoy uh, and that aspect. And also the fact that, I mean, with us being such a big tourist hub, um, I also enjoy the aspect of meeting people from all over the world, because that's also what I'm used to doing is meeting people from different countries. Um, it helps being one that has lived in a different country as well to get a interesting – because I was there um, when I was in uh, South Africa. I was there when Nelson Mandela was elected president. So I hey, went through wow. their whole – yeah, I was there through their whole civil rights movement. They desegregated schools when I was in school. So, um, I mean, I didn't quite understand it being six years old to ten. It wasn't as big of an impact until I came back to America and did American history and learned about – the Civil Rights Movement, Martin Luther King, all that stuff. So it kind of gave me a perspective looking back. There was a lot of things I recognize now, like, oh, I didn't, like, again, as as a six-year-old, you're not sitting there going, oh, what's this, like, kid that's in my class who's a black kid who's 16 in my third grade class, but obviously it doesn't register to me because he just looks like a tall guy in my class. So it it was looking back, I noticed stuff. Um, I noticed some of the things parents would do now, looking back at certain things, like my, my brothers and sisters talk about it, um, or my sisters and my, my sister and my brothers talk about it um, every now and then we're like, yo, yeah. And funny enough, one of my brothers was actually born in South Africa. Um, so hmm. I I've actually gotten in trouble uh, with someone arguing about um, what African American is because he is an African American white boy. <laughs> so. Oh, that's funny, <laughs> yeah, it's just it. but it was it gave me an interesting perspective about uh civil liberties and and the aspect of of what someone does to fight for their right to be considered basically a human being and um i again, I didn't learn so much when I was there. I learned more looking back kind of the whole hindsight twenty twenty thing of learning American history and realizing how big of a deal this was for the the African people there in Johannesburg, but also through all of South Africa when, um, when Mandela came into presidency. So it was a, it was a crazy time to live in when I look back on it. But at the time it was just like, it was normal everyday kind of stuff.
2: Very, very cool. I love that. So you're settling into West Hollywood now, uh, you and Doug, and tell me about, um, what, what you first do while you were there. Did you, uh, did you adapt the nightlife pretty quickly? And what made you think you want to adopt this persona? Where was the Empress born?
1: Oh, that was a that was an interesting one. So to start, we we originally moved out here to the Pasadena area, kind of on Rosemead Boulevard, kind of that East Pass area, and mm-hmm. um, lived there initially. And then um, kind of started out really just kind of doing temp work till I found something. Um. And my first real, like, job job was um, I did uh, interior design for uh, a design showroom in uh, kind of over by La Brea and First area. Okay. And then afterwards kind of left that. Um, we ended up moving to the Hollywood area right over by Runyon Canyon and over off uh, La Brea. So um, I was kind of looking for something near that area after I left the design uh, showroom and uh, ended up getting – uh, an offer to uh, to work for the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. And that's mm. kind of what got my initial foot in the door for learning about West Hollywood more. Um, we had already gone there quite often because, again, like, um, it was kind of where our friends were. A lot of the queer people we knew, that's where they went. Um, so we kind of ended up just doing West Hollywood in general from the get-go. So I had had a general yeah, introduction sure. to it. Throughout moving there, Um, obviously with Pasadena being a little, not like far, but L.A. far, it was, we didn't go there all the time, (laughs) but once we moved to Hollywood, yeah, once we moved to Hollywood, it was there a lot more often, and um, definitely fell in love with West Hollywood and the community, Um, and then about like seven, like seven, seven and a half years ago, we moved here into West Hollywood, Um, kind of right smack in the middle of it, quite frankly, right by, if anyone knows where the intersections are, uh, Santa Monica and Crescent Heights. So we're, we're almost yeah. directly in the center of it, um, and we, we absolutely adore it. It's, um, I think really what got me into the nightlife aspect was just going out as much as I, we did um, and just being socialite through just friends, and then also once my work continued, because I was at the chamber for almost three years. Actually, no, right at three years I was there. Like, it was so funny. I actually left the same day I was hired, um, funny enough. And um it just worked out that way, but yeah it was it was the chamber really kind of got me into uh, at first the business community and finding out stuff about the the aspects of how West Hollywood ran as a city and through that met individuals through the different either nightclubs, bars, restaurants, uh, other businesses through there and that kind of expanded my aspect from kind of the nightlife scene to West Hollywood as a whole um, and then started working with, um, Different organizations through um, Christopher Street West, which puts on L.A. Pride every year. Um, done some stuff with, like, Trevor Project before, Los Angeles HLGT Center. Um, and then different aspects through uh, working, like, I've done a couple stuff for some of the city council members. Um, I did phone calls with John Heilman, who's one of the council members, uh, who's our current mayor, Mayor Lindsey Horvath. So, um, so I've gotten really involved specifically in a way um, I've never done before in my life, which I really am not a politics type person, but I do enjoy the right. aspect of, of doing work for your community. So I will go and speak on like public, um, public work stuff or go for stuff for public safety, things to do with uh, like stuff or improvement areas. So I'll go and speak towards stuff like that, but like, for the politics game, I'm not so like, I'll, if I, if I approve of a council candidate and they ask, hey, would you volunteer to do something? I'll put my effort into something like that. But, um, gotcha. typically, I was, I was really never that kind of person that thought, like, I would consider politics encompassing all of what city life was when it came to, like, rules and regulations. And however, there's a lot more that goes into it that's not necessarily politics, it's more, public work and stuff that goes into making sure the community runs on a day-by-day basis fascinates me and really is just, um, if anyone never really understands how their community or how their city works, it's it's a pretty interesting thing. If it's bigger, if it's small, it's a really good thing to get involved with because I've learned so much about how something like this operates and um, even from travel and tourism and working with the uh, Visit West Hollywood and people with the, that do all that stuff with that, and learning just kind of how of a focal point West Hollywood is in such a big county as Los Angeles. We're a 10 million person county. West Hollywood right. has 35,000 people. So I mean, but we get close to 3 million people uh, a year that visit. So I mean, it's it's an interesting aspect to to really get involved in the community and you find out the really the framework and the DNA that creates what this city is, how this city operates, and how sometimes it's so drastically different from Beverly Hills, which is right next door to us, and Hollywood, which is just down the street, and L.A., which is all around us. So it's really fascinating to see how the cities work together, but also how different they are, and really working at the chamber and working with the the local community really helped kind of give me that perspective. So leading up to this whole aspect of the Empress and how the persona was created, I um, was doing, it was actually really dumb. We were, uh, it was my 25th birthday and my partner wanted to put on something big. And I was at, currently, it was in the middle of my chamber um, time there. So I was still fairly w- well known in the sense of I was, again, I was administrative assistant. So when everyone, everyone called, they called and they spoke to me first. So that's just like, Gotcha. Enoch. Yeah. They, know, they knew Enoch. So so um, it kind of <laughs> just was known in the sense of all the businesses I worked with on a daily basis, the people that I worked with, they, who they knew me through. So, um, And then obviously the friends from going out like a fiend every fucking day, uh, like a crazy person. <laughs> I slow down somewhat. But um, so we did – Doug was trying to create a Facebook thing, and I was jokingly saying, let's do something stupid like come see the queen. Some, let's get up as much as we can. And um, he's like, no, I don't date queens. I'm not a basic bitch. (laughs) I'll date an empress. (laughs) And I'm
3: like, sure,
1: let's do that. So we did. Come see the empress, and then of WeHo because we lived in WeHo, and it was just a crazy birthday at Flaming Saddles here in West Hollywood. And that kind of is how it kicked it off, and it stuck. Um, People actually started referring to me as the Empress of WeHo from either calling me on the phone at work or just randomly through just the neighborhood it just became the weirdly. And so we were like Doug's like, Okay, you gotta get the, the handle. You gotta get the Instagram handle. Then you gotta get the Twitter handle. Then you gotta just like well let's see what this can do. Like maybe we can like have him come out. And so from there I kinda of started going into, okay, like, what is he gonna do with this? And um I think the first thing I ever did was God, what was it? I think it was just, like, I was posting just stupid stuff of stuff I like to follow. Like, um, I have a playlist on, on YouTube where I put all my favorite songs um, and okay, i also put, yeah. like, other gay artists and stuff. So, um, that like, the royal playlist is what it turned into. Um, and then, like, and then I actually started doing um, stuff where I started working with a um, local paper here called WeHoVille um, and started doing, like, blog stuff for them of, like, oh, based on that playlist, here's what you need to check out for new music or stuff to do nice, with yeah. uh, it was queer reviews, basically, of different things and just my, my favorite things, in a sense, and doing that. And then from there, um, a friend of mine, Eric Restivo, who um, started a show called Listen, Sweetie, he, uh, he invited me on to be his co-host. And that's kind of how the interviewing thing started. And from that, I started doing my own interviews. Uh, My first one was actually at DragCon their second year uh, doing it. So I started doing my first ever doing live interviews and stuff like that was DragCon. And then right after that was What Happens at the Abbey when they first started doing their live uh, or their uh, reality show. So that was kind of my kick into it. And I've been (laughs) going ever since.
2: Nice. Well, you've done some amazing work with different things. We have similar tastes. I'm not as much music as you are, but definitely the yeah. pop culture and the local GLBT events. I love all that stuff. You spoke yeah. of, dra- of uh, DragCon for a second. I think they have to go
1: digital this weekend. How do you think that yeah. going to go
2: over? What are your thoughts on that? I,
1: I don't, I'm curious. I mean, I, I think they're trying to be a as innovative as possible to give some people their drag experience for this. Obviously, they're kind of making lemonade out of a bunch of crap lemons. So I think right. they're they're doing what they can to really help that. I think they're just still trying to give people something to look forward to, even though it's not quite drag con. Um, I can't really knock them for trying to do something like this because it's like everyone's just trying to figure out a way to survive through sure. this. They're trying to find ways. Like, bring in funding for the programming they do so I really am, I really just applaud anyone and everyone that finds these creative ways to still make like make money but also make just relevant content for people to feel like their world hasn't stopped on its end and that things are still moving forward and these organizations and these other things that we're so used to doing like it, it's still, it's still continuing. It hasn't technically been shut down. It's just on a different platform in a sense. So I'm trying to get right. a positive out of all this with with all of it. But, like, I mean, just my whole month of craziness starts kind of right around DragCon. So it's, like, for the, and the for my summer. So it kind of threw me off when they started canceling everything because it was, like, DragCon was gone, and then Queer X, then yeah, LA Pride, then all the other Prides. And it's just like, oh, my God, it just snowballed from there. Right. Yeah, I mean,
2: and drag con is such an experiential uh, thing too, where you
1: actually yeah. get
2: to see the drag queens up close. They do yeah. the workroom and they do the runway, and right. you actually get to meet and talk to them. And it brings out so many people to kind of explore their inner drag queen or just kind yeah. of get, It's 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 uh um, it's, it's a, hard to it, lose that experience.
1: Yeah, well, and it's like for anyone who's ever gone, I mean, it is. The fact of the matter with drag Hunt it is not just a drag queen or drag queen enthusiast event. It is anyone and everyone comes to this thing. I have seen families there. They have a whole kids' right. corner where they have for, like, almost like a playground area for children. Like, I mean, this thing is a family experience. And, I mean, last year I think it was close to, like, 90,000 people that came. And, I mean, like, 300 and something booths with, like, a third of those or half of those almost being queens. I mean, it's such an amazing experience and a, such a holistic experience, too, with, like, it's not just drag, 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 24-7 with it. It is
5: so right. much other
1: the businesses and the, the product stuff that they have there. And, like, um, I had my friend who did it for the first time last year. She does custom vanities, and she did this huge eight-foot vanity, and, like, people were eating it up because they're like – but that's the thing is, like, I mean – you don't need to be a drag queen to want a nice vanity. You can just be a normal person. To sure. say, hey, I want to see my face good in the morning. This is great lighting. This looks good. Boom. Like I'm good to go with it. So I feel like you can go to drag con, see all the, the entertainment, the fun, the the drag queens in this fashion, and but also get to enjoy it on just a festival level in a sense, or a con level. Like you would go to an, any mm-hmm. other regular convention and still just enjoy the aspect of like, you don't have to be a huge drag race fan to enjoy drag con. And I think that's what's so smart about what they've done is it's, it's a, it's again, it's an anything and everything for anyone or everyone. Right.
2: And Queer X that debuted last year from Reverie, right? The film festival, is that we
1: were talking about? Yeah. Queer X last year, I think was their third year. Um, doing oh, okay. that. And yeah, Reverie, Reverie is the one who puts it on. Um, it's their, it's their baby. And um, it's, a, it's a really amazing event. It's all queer um, from musicians to people who do uh, screenwrites and plays and movies and TV productions. Um, and it's 100% queer-based. So all the stories are written by queer people um, from their queer perspectives, so, um, which I feel a lot of people look for in mainstream media um, of, of just like, hey, the person that's creating this and acting this and being in this content is a queer person and is that person in that specific part of the community so they understand it from an everyday perspective, living, breathing, but also are portraying this as a character as well, too. So um, Reverie is just, for anyone who checks that out, it's just a, it's a 100% queer streaming platform with music videos, television shows, uh, music, uh, just music in general and, and other TV and video stuff. It's, it's, it's a really cool because it's a, one-stop shop platform for everything queer and um, Mm -hmm. i got to participate with them last year and we did interviews with their um with their founders and the people that were kind of some of the highlights from it um so we, we spoke with um just some different people about the aspects of what they get to do for having this event and i think they're just so appreciative that it's something for them with their fans with their peers with people they work with on a regular to really share their talent, but also share ideas with each other. And I mean, there's nothing, like, I mean, you don't see things like this around the U S where, I mean, they're just these hundred percent queer based only events that aren't watered down, aren't like put on the back burner and hidden away in some dark alley corner. Like these things are out there. And to encourage other people that are aspiring artists in what other way, shape, or form to, to do music or do television film stuff. And it's really just it's just a, an empowering thing to go and see just, again, all these different um, just innovative people, like, that have so much crazy cool content um, and just also telling their stories in such a authentic, unique way that, I mean, having right. an inner person talk about their story, having – uh, a transgender man or woman or non-binary individual telling their story because they are that themselves. And, and you don't always see that a lot in mainstream television. It's either someone who's cisgender or someone who's not quite part of the queer community trying to portray a queer person. It's like, no, these people are queer individuals playing these queer stories. And it's it's just beautiful.
2: Very, very cool. Well, let's get into – we're going to run out of time here, but I want to talk about your interviews. Have you had some of your – what are some of your favorite interviews? Um, Anyone surprise you more than anyone else? Or talk about the chance you get to talk with these people around town.
1: Oh, my God. There's so – there's three – almost three years' worth. So there's a lot. Some of my – I'd say definitely some of my most interesting ones um, were uh, Michael Lucas, from Lucas Entertainment. Um, he is uh, the number one porn creator for adult films in New York. Right. Um, and oh, I think most people know what Lucas Films are for Lucas Entertainment. And he, very deep person, very interesting person, um, has a really crazy background coming from, he originally from, was from Russia, and the way he right. um, came through the, the industry started his own brand. Um, it's really a fascinating story. So he, he surprised me because I wasn't – I mean, even though I did my research on him, I wasn't sure exactly, like – because you always, like, have this perspective of obviously what you've seen. And, again, porn is a very interesting industry to talk about in general because people already have a stipulation about the person already. And I had a little bit exactly of that because obviously no. 90% of what I knew of Michael Lucas was from the waist down. So uh, <laughs> it was it was I, a very – it was a very interesting because it was such a deep conversation. I, didn't, it, I, I, did, think I so. did a phone
2: interview with he, him for an
1: hour. He's yeah. a smart guy, right? It was crazy. Very yeah. intelligent. I was, yeah. I was impressed. And like also very philanthropic. Very very much about his not even his community specifically, but also his his, his heritage and his culture. And so he's a so. very he's a very smart individual, but also just a very deep, thoughtful person. I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, another right. one who um, who was he wasn't as like I wasn't surprised, but he was just he was just a very, like, just how how warm he was, was um, Frank Marino. Um, he's the one who did Divas Las Vegas, which was the run- longest-running drag show for, like, 30-something years on the Vegas Strip. Um, and, uh, Joan Rivers, so a... right? Does he do Joan Rivers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does yeah, he, he okay. Joan Rivers impersonations, exactly. So he's the one that had the show that did all the different impersonations, which from Cher to Tina to um, Madonna to all of them, and then, yeah, he did John Ray. Oh, that'd Rivers. be
2: amazing, yeah.
1: He was wow. so much fun, such a sweetheart. His husband was absolutely adorable. Um, they actually met with me and did in my interview before they were off to do um, uh, something with Drag Race. They were doing some, some screening or something with them, um, so uh, he was all dolled up for it, and it was just, he just, but he's just, he was so hilariously infectious with his just his character and just the way he talked. I mean, it just it cracked me. And I was just so nervous because of how, I mean, this guy is seasoned professional, 30 years in the industry. Like this man is right. like up there when it comes to the caliber of any kind of drag queen I've interviewed up to that point. And, and even though he's not even really dragging the female impersonator. Um, and so he just like, he just completely um, blew my expectations out of the water and was just such a such a sweetheart and so nice. And um, another favorite one of mine was uh, Bruce Valanche as well. He lives here in the area, and he's, he's a riot. I absolutely love talking to him. I can't stop laughing with him. Um, <laughs> he just, he's so funny. Another comedian nice. who's a favorite of mine is, I um, actually interviewed her with her just this last week, uh, Sean Pulaski. Um, she's my, my, one of my favorite comedians. Um, she's a local girl here in L.A., loves her gaze. Um she has a gay boy on every corner <laughs> she
3: she uh, who was your hardest absolutely... interview? My
1: hardest interview was um there was one guy um really nice guy but uh an adult- another adult entertainer uh his name's Nick dent and he just was he was he just answered in one word or one syllable. <laughs> things and it was so hard to just drag information out of him i felt like i was answering his questions for him while trying right. to him say the same thing and he just repeated what i said and said yeah that what exactly we said i'm like okay so next." i'm just like god damn it so i was just like come on just give me a little bit more and but really nice guy and um he does some really funny stuff too as well so Uh, But, yeah, uh, let's see, other difficult one. Not everyone's usually been pretty, like, and I I think I'm a lot like you on the sense, like, I I bring people on that I either can connect with or get along with or that that can at least carry a decent conversation. So for the most part, I've never really had a quote-unquote bad interview. Um, I've had people that aren't quite as talkative. And I think that's more what I would constitute as not, like, my best interviews once like, trying to right. pull a little bit more information out of them instead of them just kind of, like, sitting there looking at me like deer in the headlights a little bit. So I've never really had yeah, that again a, an awful one, but, like, I've definitely had some stressful ones where I was just like, come on, give me a little bit more. Give me a little bit more. Talk a little bit more. <laughs> like, I'm not, I can talk all day, but I need you to talk with me.
2: <laughs> and who's on your wish list right now? Who would you love
1: to have? Oh, God there I've been after a few, there's a lot of, um, there's a few drag Queens I've been after. Like I've been after, uh, Trixie Mattel. I met her once and she said, Oh yeah, we'll do an interview, but she's been so busy and it's so hard to like nail her down. Um, another dream one would be, um, Oh, who was, Oh, there was one guy. I was like, totally, uh, Oh shoot. I'm spacing on his name. I can't even remember his name right now. Um, there was one guy I almost got oh, he was from um Westworld and he's um I'm
3: mm. fully spacing on his name.
1: He's the guy that does the the fix ups on the 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 machine. Um the Asian American man and he's I cannot remember his name for the life of me now. Um because of course they can't. They can Google um, it, that's okay. Life. They can just Google. yeah, but he was another one I almost had that was, he was such a sweetheart, um and really nice he got slammed um busy with um with filming and stuff but um and of course share <laughs> oh wouldn't that be amazing? wouldn't that be right, amazing I mean, Oh my goodness yeah, I am trying to work um, and he knows I am, which is because why he he's been reluctant, but uh, uh I'm friends with James Duke Mason, who's uh, Belinda Carlisle's son. And I've always wanted to get her and him on together and be like, because she walks with him in the pride parade for um, moms for, uh, I forget the acronym, but the, for the, the parents, for queer children, for queer right. parents reporting. So um, P flag, that's what it is for P flag. And um, so I've met her a couple of times in the pride parade. Um, but I've always been like, I want to ask her for an interview, but she gets so, like badgered by that stuff all the time. And so,
0: and yeah, I just had that
2: yeah. last week, actually, and he is an amazing uh-huh.
3: interview
1: himself.
2: But, yeah. yeah, his his mother would be – I think I think the Go-Go's is one of my very first concerts. So, yeah, that would be an amazing interview. Wow. Yep, oh. I hear you. I hear oh, you God. on that. She,
1: And she's a sweetheart, too. She's a really, really nice lady. Like, absolutely just loves her son and adores the queer community and just is such a big supporter. So, um, but, yeah, she, I mean, and then Duke's just great because, I mean, he's very civically active uh, – um, just involved and, and really, like, he tries right. to city council as well, so, I mean, he knows a lot about government, so he's, I mean, he's a, he's a fun friend, and just, like, um, love him to death, and if you want to see Duke ever get down and dirty, just come to the Abbey, so. <laughs>
0: there you go. I
1: like it. Very cool. All right,
2: well, we got to wrap it up, so I want to um, finish up with this group project we're working on, and I don't yeah. want to get you in trouble, so don't talk out of turn if you don't have to. But, like, Ohio, we're Northeast Ohio, so we have, like, three gay bars. And they're yeah. very, very competitive. The thing that I found in uh, working with you guys out in WeHo is you're really, at least through this pandemic, working together very strongly. And your travels through the city and working with all these people. Is it that tight-knit outside of this pandemic? Were these bars, or can it be a little cutthroat? Because ours are bad back here in Ohio. Tell me what I your I are.
1: Definitely, there's definitely competition in the sense that, I mean, they're all hoping to have people enjoy their, their establishment. But when it comes down to it, um, I definitely know the bars have, like, and I've been in meetings, like, for when um, ABC, which is Alcohol Beverage Control, tried to have a stick up their butt and, like, come at them about, like, dancers, or come at them about, like, stuff with serving. And it's just, like, they they come together when it matters. Um, there's oh, there's obviously good. competition. it's yeah. obviously, like, like fun competition. Um, like, they joke with each other. Um, but for the most part, I, I, I mean, they – when it comes down to it for for when it matters for the community, when it matters for what's called the little area of being Boys Town, historic Boys Town, when it's – like, that whole trip, when when they're really kind of rubber meets the road with everything, they're there for each other. They're there to support their community. Um, so, I mean, there, there's healthy comp- competition, I think, with all of them, um, as any business, I think, should. But uh, when it comes down to it, yeah, they. I mean, they, they step forward. And I, mean, I think you've clearly seen it, I think, now with the bars that are trying to find creative ways to support their employees still
0: staying. Right
1: that like hey we're going to come back however just like don't forget about the people that that have supported you and that have worked with you and that have like been there to give you your drink and then walk you out of the bar at like 2:30 a.m. So right like, uh, I I think it is I think it I mean you'll get you'll get every now and then like they'll have different people in the bars that have beef but for the bars themselves there's no I think I think there's no like active like we're physically going to come up and do something to go against you. Like there's there's nothing like that. Right, right. right. Well, very cool. I can't applaud you guys
2: enough out there with uh helpweho.com. That's com. You guys have been putting together some amazing fundraising. I can't believe in 2 weeks you raised over $20,000. Speaking of the bars, I mean, Rocco's is doing some amazing things. I think the yeah. Abbey just donated $2,000 yesterday or last week yeah. when this was being aired. So it's kind of amazing. You've been doing your part in donating, doing live shows and donating. Yeah. It's got to be a kind of feel-good experience to be part of these guys and making something happen like this. So good on you, my friend. Well, Talk about all your right. thoughts on it.
1: Well, it's, it's just, it's good to still just that we can do something. And I think that's the biggest part of it. A lot of people feel felt a little useless and I've kind of felt like, okay, what am I going to do to not only just like support my community, but support my friends and the people that like are affected because I mean, the majority of my friends are in nightlife or some aspect of nightlife affects what they do. A lot of my musician right. friends and, obviously the bartenders and the servers and barbacks and the people in the back of house that do the food. So there's just so many people that have been affected by this um, from, from all angles. And so the fact that I can help in some small way give back and also encourage other people to do that, and the group that, that uh, Kevin Spencer and um, Travis Garcia really just, I mean, have cultivated this great group of individuals and it keeps expanding every day of just people and and professionals and and then also businesses have started stepping up as well too. It's just you just see this camaraderie of not just queer people but of just of community people really looking out for one another and saying, No, we understand these people need help. How are we gonna help them? And people really stepping up to the plate to to put base, to really truly put their money where their mouth is and really just give whatever they can and I think that's what's been so great about this this fundraiser it's not like pushing people to donate 500 here or 12,000 there it's like it's not these astronomical numbers it's like no tip what you would uh for a drink or like whatever you would give on a normal night of like for tips for a bar it's something that you would normally do already for that weekend it's not looking for anything astronomical and I think that's what's made it so like not so guilt-ridden like a lot of fundraisers do where they kind of guilt you into it I feel it's been very organic and I feel the people that have given are like no I want to support WeHo because WeHo's there for my just my outlet and my just hang out with my friends and for a good time and I think that's what people are just paying it forward in a sense of giving back what uh, what they've received for so many years from these people that have really, I mean, they've helped my alcoholism a hundred percent and I have to give back in some way. My liver can't, but I there can. you
2: go. <laughs> well said my friend. Well, Enoch Miller, we have to wrap. Okay. Let everyone know where they can find you. And of course, the Empress of WeHo uh, give out your social media and where they can find some of these great interviews of yours.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I'm, um, all my interviews are on my uh, Facebook. Uh, it's at Empress of WeHo across the board for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I wanted to keep it simple. And um, you can also go to uh, YouTube for Gay Life LA. Uh, their platform has, um, I the—I think all of them, if not the vast majority of them are on there. Um, but, yeah, usually just uh, my Empress Facebook and my regular page are all tied together, so you'll see that on there. But, uh, yeah, just at Empress of WeHo and um, you can always just check us out there and see what's going on. I usually try to post fairly regularly on what's coming up. Um,
2: well, Enoch, it's been an absolute pleasure. Listeners, you are in luck. We are going to bring Enoch on as a regular featured segment here on the Left Woo-hoo! of Straight show. I appreciate you volunteering to do that, my friend. Uh, I'm excited for a, a great partnership ahead.
1: I, me too. I am excited to to really – let everyone know what's going on on the West side and keep you all up to date with the craziness of, of California, but uh, all over around here. There you go. Well, Enoch Miller, thanks so much for being part of the left of straight show. I appreciate
2: it. Stay on the line for me guys. We're going to play out here with a little music and I'll be back in this little bit. You're listening to the left of straight show right here on the left of straight radio network. <music> That was Matt Van Fossen with Time Ain't What It Used to Be. We're going to have Matt on the show real soon on a musical Monday in the next couple of weeks. I always like to have him stop by the studio. That's my next guest is coming on the Left of Straight show for the very first time. He's a longtime PR person, a kilt enthusiast, an entrepreneur, and lives just down the freeway here in beautiful downtown Columbus, Ohio. We met on the Twitter machine and have become fast friends. You can tell a lot about a man by this clan he is part of, right? So please welcome to the show, Alan Geiner. Hi,
5: uh, thanks for having me on.
2: Very good to have you. We kind of connected on Twitter a while back, and I'm glad we we're able to uh, finally get together here. But first, how are you holding up in Corona 2020? Um, you doing okay down there in Columbus?
5: Oh, not bad. Just held up in the house with a husband and the cat, you know, so. <laughs> and of course, there there's you always go. Cat that wants to, there's always a cat that wants attention, and with five of them, you know, it's a never a dull moment because they're all needy. So. But.
2: I was going <laughs> to ask, after four or five weeks, which is going to kick out first, the husband or the cat? <laughs> <laughs> it's
5: a toying it, it, – it's definitely a coin toss at this point.
2: So, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, I miss getting down to Columbus. I used to go there about uh, at least once a month to take a little drive down and hang out and do some fun stuff there. And now I've been cooped up here in beautiful Northeast Ohio for the last five or six weeks. Haven't gone. Well, I can't say I haven't gone anywhere. I am not a house person, so I sneak out mm-hmm. to the lakes and take a walk around the lake and do my social distancing away from people and take a little walk or hike or something. But uh,
5: other than that, just not leaving the house really much at all. So I hear you. And that's always good to do, and I've been to Cleveland many times. I'm from Toledo originally, so I, I've, I've been to Cleveland many times. So. <laughs> and the right to go nice. between Cedar Point. So
2: <laughs> you got to love Cedar Point. Best world coasters in the country. I love me a little Cedar yeah, Point you,
5: action. Once you've been to Cedar Point, every other New Zealand Park sucks ass in big time. So. It really, really does. <laughs> that is true.
2: <laughs> very, very true, my friend. And we're going to talk about your PR in a little bit, but uh, how is that working in Corona 2020? Are you able to work with your clients remotely? Uh, Do you do that most of the time?
5: Oh, Uh, uh, How does that work? uh, Still going good. All my clients have always been for the past 28 years um, not near me. Most of my clients are in the U.K. I have two in Finland, I have uh, two down in Texas and one in Canada, so uh, I have never been a local publisher even since my beginnings back in nineteen ninety
2: Because so. usually p r has to be pretty hands hand holding hands on hand holding for a lot of artists that's why oh, nice. you can
5: it's still a lot of hand holding you know Is but, it? but uh, long story short on a trip to the u k in nineteen ninety two visit a pen pal of mine, I ended up sitting next to this woman who turned out to be a huge publicist by the name of Shirley McLean. And I was really fascinated fascinated with Morrissey at the time. And she's like, oh, I can get you some photos. Here's where you can go where she eats and everything. And then she gave me her phone number. She was going to Edinburgh, Trowbridge, and we talked a few times when I was there. She's like, well, what do you do? I told her I worked at Wendy's. She's like, how do you like a scout for EMI? I go, that'd be great. So when I got back to Toledo, Ohio, I scouted for EMI UK. I was just going around Toledo, Detroit, Chicago, about two years. And in 92, I'm like, how do you become a publicist? So she took me under her wing. I worked with her in Powerhouse, uh, Lynn Frank's PR. And was I worked on projects uh, in Canada and Europe and even in Southeast Asia you know, way before the age of the Internet when you had to get up really early in the morning to make phone calls or late at night and go to the post office every day, tax machines, card catalogs, uh, periodical tables, the you know, the whole periodical um, books to look up editors and everything. So um, wow! I, so really from the start, I've never been a local publicist. Uh, I, I don't like dealing with the local bands, A lot of local bands have local band attitudes. They're like, oh, I'm big big stuff here, so why would I need to be bigger anywhere else? So, you know, and other people seem to want to expand and have their music heard everywhere. I always think, what's the point of putting out music if nobody's going to hear it? You know, old, new, it's always going to be new to somebody, and it's never more the case now when music is out there all the time, it's in the clouds, and people are. Especially right now during the lockdown, people are discovering music more and more and more because they're bored and they want something new, something different. Uh, so right. and, uh, it's ind- so independent artists. Independent artists is anyone who's not signed a major label, no matter what the genre, uh, are being discovered at, at a really large amount right now. And streams are up and everything, so it's really good for independent artists even in this lockdown. So.
2: Right. No, exactly true. And uh, we'll we'll stick on PR for a bit then. We'll go into your background just a little bit because we're kind of in the role here. So, talk. Mm-hmm. let everyone know um, what a publicist actually does because it has <laughs> a lot of myriad of meanings to different people. What mm-hmm. What is the best way to describe your job to people? Well,
5: I'm really old school PR. <laughs> and if you've ever watched Ab Fab where, where Adina says IPR thing, so that's basically what I do. In fact, that's my Twitter <laughs> handle. IPR things. People, I, I help get ideas out there. I help get people noticed. Um, uh, some some interviews back in the day, it was a lot getting on uh, different radio stations, local radio, even series XM, like and talk shows and everything. But that's all changed. Uh, talk shows and. Radio stations that are run by iHeart and even SiriusXM only want big names and A list goes on. You know, there's always an exception to the rule. But even, you know, I used to be able to get people on Ellen and The Today Show and Sally Jesse and all that. You know, and um, that's really not the case anymore. We have to stick to the mid sized blogs and the mid right. and in some radio stations over in New York like uh, Gadeo over in the UK, which I worked with forever. And, um, shows that have become podcasts like Derek and Romaine, who used to be on SiriusXM, you know, I, I've sent stuff to them forever. And now, and now right. even they're turning away from regular guests, you know, they're doing more mainstream where, you know, podcasts your size, which is mid-size, which is really nice. Um, to deal with because you're more open to independent artists and people just coming in the business and people returning to the business. Uh, right. So that's uh, really nice. So that's a my favorite you know, part too is like, I, I like I like
2: talking to people that I'm either a fan of or want to become a fan of. And when mm-hmm. when you are in this mid-range category, um, I can pick and choose a lot easier, which is nice. I like having that ability. So yeah, it's a kind of a fun mm-hmm. spot to be in.
5: Oh, yeah, it's really great. You know, and even podcasts are getting harder and harder to get on. You know, um, some of them are three, four weeks out. Some are six weeks out. Um, And uh, blogs are getting the same way, too. Blogs are anywhere from probably a month to two months out. But but I'm also a contributing editor to a few blogs, so I can get some coverage, to for my clients in, in like four major blogs, which helps a lot. So um, it, gotcha. it, it keeps my clients happy. And my clients have called me uh, colorful uh, in my approach to PR because I'm always thinking of something new, you know, some new way of getting them out there. And it's something I've always done. And, you know, I was trained to do everything you can to get the client out there. And I
2: Right, It's such an innovative field, and the technology is changing so much. Um, I've been talking to a lot of other guests during corona here, and I think it's going to change entertainment and PR and everything for quite a while to come, because I think it's going to take a little bit before we have mass gatherings. And I think a lot of the artists themselves have learned how to do streaming from their living room, uh, getting tips through Venmo and PayPal, and trying to find new alternate sources of income, and I think it's really going to oh, change yeah. the face of entertainment for a while.
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, everything for this year is pretty much canceled or delayed and until there's a vaccine, which will probably be anywhere from six months to a year from now. You know, there's going to be no large gatherings. But even when things get back to, quote, unquote, normal, um, every you know, people are going to be slow to get back. And that's why I launched a new thing called Live at Home with a colleague of mine, uh, Jammer Direct, and we're going to stream we are going to stream live performances uh, on people's uh, televisions and iPads and mobile phones uh, through their Roku channel. So uh, bands will be able to, you know, uh, get their performances out to old fans and new fans, and everybody who's hungry for entertainment. And uh, we're going to put out links uh, right on there so people can get tips also. So. That sounds great. Yeah, I mean. Uh, well, uh, that way, it's a it's a great new tool for um, fans uh, to get out there because that idea just kind of popped in my head. I was thinking of, of a way to get out my clients during this time where, you know, like a few of them were going to do party events some were going to do music festivals in Europe and you know that's all been canceled so I'm like well how am I going to get them out there so that's how that kind of streaming live through a Ruka channel uh, idea came up so
2: right and people are getting innovative and it's working in lots of different fields in the gig industry I mean I have uh, some friends that work in the exercise community and one is a trainer for Equinox in New York and one has his own Mm gymnastics studio and they've gone online and teaching classes five days a week and they're getting like three to 600 people in each of their classes online and uh, I just talked to my buddy who's an artist out in California and he's doing online Mm -hmm. art classes on how to draw so Mm -hmm. it's really getting some creativity out there and there's so much good content going on right now that it's like I said it's really going to change everything but you can find a lot yes. of good stuff out there right now.
5: It's kind of like we're all living in the age of the Jetsons, you know, where school, where the screen came down and Al Roy, you know, went to school online or they watched concerts and on the screen that came down. Or, you know, it's like we're all living in the age of the Jetsons. Some of your li- listeners might not know who the Jetsons were, but I don't think you and I remember uh <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, my my are, listeners so. know that I'm old as dirt. So, yeah, they understand the older references okay. and I use them a lot. So we're okay.
5: Well, oh, I'm, oh, I'm probably pretty close to your age, too. So.
2: <laughs>
5: there you go. There you go.
2: All right. Well, um, I like that. I like hearing about a publicist. Who do you think
5: needs a publicist in today's
2: day and age and who really not so much anymore?
5: Again, to quote, everybody needs publicity because they really do. Um, it's really good at all stages. It's from uh, recording artists to um, I've had clients, well, I have a client who's an actor. I've had clients who are comedians, who are voiceover actors, um, who I've even done PR a couple of times for Ron Jeremy. I've done PR for um, Geo for gay bars, I've done PR for porn companies, um, for underwear, you name it. I've, I've done PR for a Playboy Bunny. So, like, really everyone needs PR. Every, anybody who has a talent that wants to be seen or needs to be seen, I should really have a publisher. Gotcha. Um, Very so cool. Well, there. if and any more artists people anyone are
2: ever you, so. looking – there you go. If any of my artists are ever looking for a little PR, we'll give you information at the end there and uh, maybe find you a couple more clients. We'll see what happens. Let's go ahead and jump into the other area I want to talk about. I teased about it in the intro. You actually are an entrepreneur and a kilt enthusiast. You have an online portal where you can buy kilts and
5: accessories. What got you interested in that? It's called Just Killed Me, and I was very lucky that name was around because I had no other ideas for it. Um, I've always been like the family historian in digging into the family past, which has taken me years. And I discovered one Scottish ancestor, and of course that led to a lot more. Because um, once you have one Scottish ancestor, you have many, many more. And of course, the further you go back, the more the further you go back, the more people you're related to. For the less people in the world, that's where lines cross over, and you get to that identical ancestor point, where pretty much about 700 years ago, 80% of the population you're descended from. So that kind of area. so just like mathematically, it makes sense. And then I just started. Looking to look into the tartans associated with the clans like Balfour and Fleming and Frazier and Murphy and Stewart all which are in my trees and probably a lot of your listeners trees too even if they don't know it and then I just started one by one and then being a publicist you know a kind of a bell went off in my head saying I'd love to do PR for a company so I was looking around for a kilt company to do PR for and nobody would get back to me. No one would listen to my idea. So I just decided to do it myself. So I started looking for a tartan weaving mill in Pakistan of all places. Because most kilts and tartans are woven in Pakistan just because the cost is less expensive. But I was lucky to okay. find a good tartan partner whose father was trained in Scotland by a tartan weaver and opened up his own tartan weaving mill in Pakistan about 55 years ago. So, and they weave some of the highest quality tartans I've ever seen. You know how there's like lightweight and heavyweight? Well, their lightweight is more is like everyone else's heavyweight tartan. So, um it's a poly-cotton blend tartan which is really you know, durable and stands up to almost anything. We don't do wool because wool is so expensive um, to sell. So and, uh, I, I like tilts to be uh, affordable. So I have about 16 tilts in my own collection. So I'm probably going to nice. adding more adding more along the way. So, um and kilts are just comfortable. Everybody looks good in the kilt. It's nice to bring a little bit of style and fashion back to everybody in an age where people wear whatever they like and look like slobs half the time. Sorry, you shouldn't go to the store in a pajama bottoms or a sweatpants. You know, I mean, there's always an <laughs> exception to the rule. there's always an exception to the rule of like, you know, feel good. You just got to hospital. You know, but for the most part, you know, I was taught to leave the house looking your best, and uh, that's kind of how I'm pushing. uh, You know, saying hashtag bringing back style with tartan. You know, look your best, don't look like a slob. And the latest one I'm using, just because we're all in social distancing, is no reason to look sloppy. So, uh, (laughs) very good. Well.
2: I don't know too much. I can't say I'm an expert on kilts or anything, but my mom mm-hmm. has watched um, every season of Outlander about 15 times now, so I know it looks good in a kilt. <laughs> Other
0: than that, <laughs> it, I don't Exactly, know too much exactly. <laughs> oh, you do
2: know,
0: how man, many times
5: I hear it, that women are be like, have you seen Outlander? You look like you look like Jamie Fraser. I'm like, I wish I looked like Jamie Frazier, but thank you.
2: <laughs> there you go, exactly.
5: Now my and, mom literally and go, watches
2: uh, that thing on a loop. I think she's seen it a minimum of 15 times. And so uh,
5: the entire, really, every season. It's a really, really good show. It's a really, really good show. And it, it's, you know, it's funny, the Tartan is that they wear are more of the traditional colors because a lot of the colors and tartans you see today didn't come around until like the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, or even the 20th century uh, because there are only so many colors in the world. So pretty much everyone's tartan looked alike. It wasn't until later, until different colors were developed, uh, that Tartans gotten their uh, distinguishing colors. So for the most part, they were, like, pretty much all one color. So,
2: <laughs> Gotcha. And talk
5: about that a bit.
2: I want to – the Tartans do have a di- deeper meaning for a lot of these quilts, even though you said it has blended about a bit now. But how many – is there a certain number of, of uh, blends right now of Tartans that of clans? Is there – how many clans are out there that you know of?
5: There are about, there's over 5,000 registered tartans with the Tartan Authority. So, Wow. Uh, but not all of them are woven because it's a very expensive and long process to weave a tartan. It takes about a month and a half to weave a new tartan that's never been woven before. Uh, so it, it's a very long and tedious process an extensive process to uh, weave a tartan. But... Every clan basically, but many clans also use tartans of other clans. Like with the Stuarts, um, it's worn by Clan Boyd, by Clan Gallibrath, by Clan Walter, um, just because they're all related or smaller clans, or sometimes taken under. Being protected by larger clans, like McDonald, there are over 150 uh, surnames that are associated with clan. But they're not all related. A lot of them have been married into, but a lot of them were smaller clans or smaller families that just um, seek the protection of a larger, stronger clan. So, and then gotcha. they pledge their then they pledged their loyalty to that clan chief, so they were entitled to wear the tartan. So. Very nice. Well,
2: I, I kind of figured that. I, I felt almost like um, a Scottish astrology because I remember when we first talked, you were talking about um, how we could be distant cousins there, and I was something like uh, mm-hmm. an Otterburn with a Douglas and Balfour rising or something. It's like, I felt like an oh, astrology. Oh, yeah, yeah. there. yeah,
5: there, yeah. There's uh, Fullerton that married into the Otterburns, and Otterburns ended up marrying into Clan Balfour, which is the first clan. But the Bellcores are also related to uh, the Beatons, also known as the uh, Beaton, and they helped found the Macbeths. And Macbeths kind of helped, were married into the Maclean uh, uh, family, too. So and the fa- family trees and lines are all pretty much wibbly wobbly, twisted. So. Got uh,
2: you. I understand. Now, one of the things I like about your company, though, is you even if you don't want to claim a, a, a clan or a tribe, you can create your own kilt and weave your own colors. Is
5: that true? Oh yes, you can design your own tartan and have it registered by the Scottish Tartan Authority, which is a long process. They just have to make sure that there is at least a ten percent difference between your tartan design. In one of the over 5,000 that are already registered. <laughs> and most tartans are only about 10% difference. That's why so many tartans look alike. And to tell the truth, you can really wear whatever tartan you like. You know, there are some sticklers say you can only wear the ones your clan or the ones that are in your family tree. But as I mentioned, if you get back to that identical ancestor point where like seven hundred years ago you're descended from eighty percent of everybody who was alive in Europe at the time. If you have one European ancestor anywhere in your tree, you know, chances are, you know, somewhere in your tree is, you know, Stewart and then Bruce and Wallace and whole bunch of others, either directly or indirectly through marriage and alliances. So you can pretty much wear whatever nice. you want. Or, or you can design your own tartan like I did with the tartan for the otters. So Very cool. And then talk about
2: um, accessories. You have accessories on the website. Uh, <laughs> what kind of things
5: uh, do you offer that way? Well, I have a limited edition left <laughs> of a very rare Art Deco Welsh dragon that I had reproduced. <laughs> I have some Welsh dragon kilts and Welsh dragon sporns, but then you can also have <laughs> a spawn design with any tartan design on the front of it, also. So, and then there's neckties and bow ties, uh, little pocket squares, also. So,
2: very, very good. And uh, another thing yeah. I like is you can also purchase gift cards and gift someone a tartan or something like that, right?
5: Which is sometimes a good idea because you might not know what kind of kilts or tartan to get somebody so that they can just choose for themselves. It's
2: been a pleasure talking to you, Al, learning about PR a bit, learning about kilts. Let everyone know where they can find both your PR agency and your website for your kilts.
5: Well, the, the kilts is justkiltme.com, and I encourage everybody to Look and purchase the Otter Tartan, which I designed to help raise money for uh, otter conservation um, around the world and even in Columbus, Ohio, at the Columbus Zoo and the International Otter um, Foundation. And also, while well, gay otters are more than welcome to wear the Otter Tartan, too, because it's kind of a kindred there. And then PR, uh, you can find me at alginerpr.com. Very good. Well, thanks so much,
2: guys. Stick around. We're going to go ahead and uh, play out here a little music. And be sure to look for Al's uh, five questions with. You're listening to Left the Straight Show right here on the Left the Straight Radio Network. Thanks, Al.
0: You are the best thing. You hold my heart inside your hands. you magic. You make me crazy. your touch touching. Makes me lose my head. It's tragic. It's all over That's what you said It's all finished Gonna in bed and tell your friends They can leave when they want to This feeling has gone to your head Nobody believes Sees you like I see
2: All guys, we are back. That's a little condensed version of our good buddy, Matt Stern, Your Magic. And we played a little Matt earlier as well. Guys, a big shout-out to my guests today. Thanks so much to Josh Sabera, Enoch Miller, and Al Geiner for coming on the show today. I really appreciate all of them. Uh, Tomorrow I have a fantastic show for you as well. We're going to have two amazing writers for you going to have Greg Cope White. He is a triple threat. He is a screenwriter. He is an author of The Pink Marine and a cook who's appeared on the Cooking Channel. And then we're going to have Dennis Hensley on. And Dennis is amazing. He's done so many great high-profile writing of people like, oh, Carrie Fisher and so many other great people out there. So we're going to have two amazing writers on a writer block Thursday tomorrow. And for Friday, I have a very special announcement. Probably you don't want to miss Friday's show. So stay tuned for that. And, guys, give me a follow. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, it's at Left of Straight L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R, and the number eight. On Facebook, it's the Left of Straight show. Or you can follow my personal page, Scott Fullerton. It's open and unlocked to send me over a friend request. Thanks again for tuning in tonight. Be sure to download tomorrow and subscribe on your uh, favorite podcast so you never miss an episode, and we will talk to you soon. Have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye.